Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. My guest today is an old friend of mine and a true expert on what makes stories work. We met many years ago, and we always love to hang out whenever we're at conferences together to chat and to catch up on uh, just the writing world, what's working, what isn't working, and stories and storytelling. So Jeff Ayers has been a freelance writer and reviewer since 1999. He has reviewed primarily mystery thrillers for Library Journal, where he was a former fiction reviewer of the year, and also for Booklist and the Associated Press. He recently retired from his reference librarian position after almost 30 years. He's interviewed hundreds of authors in print, audio, and video, including James Patterson, Harlan Coben, and Dan Brown. He's moderated panels at Book Expo America, Thriller Fest, and various other conferences. Jeff has also published several titles in both fiction and nonfiction, including Voyages of Imagination, the Star Trek Fiction Companion, where he covered over 550 novels and interviewed over 350 people, including William Shatner. He currently has a couple of manuscripts out for submission and is under contract for a new nonfiction book for Grand Central Publishing. Jeff is also the co-executive director of Thriller Fest, the annual conference for the International Thriller Writers. So, Jeff, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you. And uh, listening to that bio, I think, man, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you. And that's um, that's why I wanted you to have uh, to have you on the podcast today. I mean, you know, as I look over all of the people that you've interacted with, interviewed, uh, chatted with at conferences, introduced and all of that, I thought, this would be really fun to to talk with Jeff, not just about his own work, but also just some of the interesting, you know, people that you've met, stories you've heard. But but let's start with this. When you think about all of the different conferences that you've actually been to, hosted panels at, and so on, are there any like nuggets of insight that you've heard that you've carried with you and said, you know what, that's one maybe piece of storytelling or writing advice that I never want to forget any, any significant little moments like that, that you can think of. Um, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is when I get to be a panel master that we call thriller fest, where I'm moderating a panel, I see, um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this correct because we are telling stories. Um, there's an art to panel mastering and essentially you're telling a story while people are in the audience listening. Hmm. You want people to come away entertained yeah. and learn more about the people involved. And I cannot tell you how many panels I've attended, whether like <laughs> a comic con or even at a thriller fest where I'm in the audience and thinking I'm not here to be entertained or learn about just the panel master. Mm -hmm. I want to know about the panelists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. You know, it's like, it is a 
it is difficult to be in that role. And basically you might have five, six, seven people up there with you. And your goal is to introduce them, to facilitate, you know, the questions, to keep things moving, entertaining and all that. And, you know, I've done that too. And it, it it's not super easy to do. Um, you know, one thing that I always think of is trying to find questions that allow the, um, basically panelists to share what's, what's um, I guess, super important to their process or, or what's on their heart kind of thing, instead of just throwing out a question and then saying, no, I want all six of you to answer that. And then yeah. here's the next question we'll have all six of you. It's like, I kind of like to think about each, you know, person on the panel and say, okay, your expertise is in writing detective stories or spy novels, whatever it might be how do you actually shape stories that really work? And then once you've found their passion, people usually want to want to share about it and talk about it. I would agree. And the other thing that I try to pay attention to is the crafting of writing is solitary. And mm. when we work, we're solitary. You know, we <laughs> don't think about having to interact with others. And so a lot of us are shy and don't like to do public speaking. It took me a long time to get comfortable. And when I'm hosting a panel and seeing a panelist who's obviously shy and mm. not, not comfortable, I always want to try and give that person a chance to shine as well. So I try and steer a question specifically for them or, in, in some cases, just try and um, slim down what some of the more um, verbose people. Talking about. <laughs> you and I have both had diff interesting panelists on our, you know, panel. Sometimes you'll get, give, get it to someone and they just don't want to stop. And it's, you're just like, okay, we need to get everyone involved. It's, tr it's tricky yes. to do, but, but it's also good to talk about this because, you know, a lot of people maybe are emceeing a certain event. Maybe people are listening and they're like, look, we have this conference coming up, this business conference, and I need to introduce people like that. And so it's good to remember, you know, your, your job, First of all, you're not the warm-up act. Um, second of all, it's not like what you said. It's not about you. It's about channeling all the energy and interest and stuff and honoring the, the, the speaker, whoever it is coming up to present. Um, one of the best compliments I got for a panel I had moderated afterwards, the uh, guy came up to me and he goes, you're funny. I like you. You highlighted all the panelists really well, but when it comes to your opinion, I don't give a crap. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's funny. And you'll meet people with interesting attitudes whenever you're, you know, engaged with, um, with things like there was this one, person that I was introducing at an event. And um, I, I, I had written out an introduction for, for her. And, uh, and she was a little nervous about having me introduce her. I said, here's what I'm going to read. Is there anything you'd like to change? She reads it over and she goes, I've written 71 books, not 68. I'm like, okay. All right. I will change that for you. I was like, you know, and, and no, no one in the audience is like on her, 
you know, Wikipedia site. What? I thought she wrote 71 books. He said 68 books. I don't know. But you you run into attitudes and things like that. Not all the time, but once in a while, you're just like, okay, whatever. I was in the audience of a panel and a couple of friends of mine were up on the panel. That's why I was watching it. And the panel, the panel master, he would ask a question and the person would start to answer. And then he would interrupt and say, I remember when, and then he would answer the question he asked. Oh no! So I had to turn my phone off because my friends up there were texting me going, would you please kick this person off and get up here so you can do it properly? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) You know, there's a skill to presenting. And, you know, one of the things on this um, podcast that we like to do is explore telling stories yourself and presenting stories and, you know, teaching and and so on. So, you know, someone is uh, doing a presentation, they're, you can definitely make yourself seem like a professional by the way that you do things and an amateur by the way that you do things. You know, if you walk up front and you grab the microphone and you like start blowing into it and tapping it on your head, is this thing on? Is this thing on? Hello, hello, testing. Immediately, everyone is like, what is this about? Like, you know what I mean? You, you walk up, you present and, um, and uh, you know, give credit where credit is due and it's not all about you and, and just, um, just microphone management. If people are, if you're using a slide presentation, you know, rehearse with the slides so that you can make sure that whatever you're actually presenting and, you know, you're communicating that you actually know what's coming next and all of that stuff. It just, it seems elementary sometimes to just say, you know, go over rehearse or whatever term you want to say, you know, your presentation beforehand, but a lot of people just don't do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, I always used to joke that uh, if someone is coming to watch me, there's something wrong with them. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if they've got, you know, I've got George R. R. Martin and Lee Child on a panel, like, you're not here to see me. So I'm going to, you know, steer and make sure the ship doesn't crash into an iceberg. Now, I'm sure that over the years and all of the, you know, panels you've been at, conferences you've planned, all the books that you've reviewed, you've sort of come up with, you know, different aspects of a story that you like to look for in, uh, in a novel or, 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 um, Maybe you're reviewing a, a book or even screenplay or whatever it is. But uh, what would you say as someone who has reviewed hundreds of books over the years, um, you're a nationally known book reviewer and so on. What, what are some of the things that you really look for to make sure that a story is really firing on all cylinders? The main thing in, in, that I feel makes a book truly sing is having the personal connection with the characters Hmm. and you know, they, some folks will say, Oh, the, you know, you have to have the world saving plot. Hmm. Well, if you have the world saving plot, if I don't care for the characters, why should I care about what's going on with them? Yeah. And vice versa, you might have great characters, but they just stand around and, uh, you know, eat candy all day. Um, I'm not going to (laughs) care about that either. Yeah. What works best is having the characters in situations that are engaging, but also have personal stakes for them. Mm. So when you are so invested in those characters and you feel like you know them, you care about even the little details that go on. 
And when an author can pull that off on a consistent basis, that's when I'm like, yes, this is truly great. And so it's not just about, you know, creating a character we can picture. It's not just about creating, you know, exciting events to occur, but it's actually allowing the readers to care about the character on an emotional level. And also like what I like what you said, personal stakes. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about that, that idea of stakes within a story. Let's say um, hypothetically, you're dealing with a um, bus driver and a bus driver is driving a bus in the middle of a snowstorm hits a patch of ice and crashes into a lake that's frozen and the ice starts to crack and he's got to save these kids. Hmm. Okay. That's, that's, that's cool. And there's personal stakes there because he feels responsible for the kids. Yeah. Now let's say that he has a choice to make because one of the kids on that bus is his own son Hmm. and he can only save one kid out of say 10. Wow. What do you do? The, that's personal stakes. Hmm. And then you might have the parents, you know, uh, from another perspective, realizing they've never made it to school. And so, I mean, there's all those elements. And that's what I mean by personal. Um, yeah, if you just had that same story I told you without anything personal it would just be a tragic thing you're reading about but uh, so what yeah i like the idea of moral dilemmas in stories where we take uh, the main let's say the main character and we force him to make a choice that is between two unfavorable outcomes so you know 24 the series was phenomenal at that <laughs> yeah you're like what do you choose you've got to make a choice between this and that who wins who loses who who lives who dies and so you know and the best stories do that in a way where we're like we really care about the characters and the choice and the consequences um of uh, of the direction that the story goes uh, the other thing I love about a really good book is if I come away learning something hmm. and that has to do with, I, I want to mention setting with you um, a good setting, whether it be, you know, inside a coffee shop, for example, or a warehouse or something that I'm not as familiar with, hmm. but clearly the author writing it is familiar with that. I get a sense of what it's like to work in a situation like that or mm-hmm. be in a small town or those sort of things. And so when you mix all those things together that we were talking about, um, or I should say blend, since this is a story <laughs> blender, um, those tend to be the best in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. With setting, I think a lot of people overlook uh, setting within, you know, their stories and their writing. And I think as a writer, it's easy to kind of become blinded to it where you picture it in your mind, but maybe readers can't see it. I'm reminded of a story that I wrote years ago about uh, a dragon was in this cave fighting the protagonist and, and uh, uh, two, two characters. So there's a dragon fighting these characters. And I had this, I don't know how many pages long this dragon fight. 
And my friend, I gave it to my friend to look at. He's like, I just can't picture it. I'm like, how can you not picture it? There's a dragon. And he's like attacking. They're, they're fighting a dragon. And she's like, because it's in a cave, Steve. Like everything is dark. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a good point. And so I had to add different light sources. There's lava and there's a there's a torch that they make actually dragon, you know, fire breath and so on. So by using these three different sources of light, I was able to then alternate between them so that there was always a source of light in the cave. And it really taught me that two things about setting. One, if just if I can picture it doesn't mean my readers can. And second, where's the light coming from? It seems like a simple, you know, kind of thing. But like when I'm working on a scene now, I'm thinking, how can they picture this? How do they see it? Where's the light in this in this room, in this scene? Um, my daughter and I watched uh, the movie The Jungle Cruise oh, yeah. last night. Uh, I've been wanting to see it for a while and love the ride. <laughs> and one of the things we were commenting on as we watched it was we thought that uh, the main character was unlikable. Hmm. And why was he unlikable? And there's a moment in the film where it all makes sense. And it does that turn. I like hmm. where it's unexpected and then it becomes personal. Hmm. You know, I'm not going to give spoilers away, but yeah. that point I went, now I get why I don't like him. Now I understand everything. Hmm. And now I like him and it's now personal. And that was, that was the turning point for me from thinking this is just, uh, you know, parts of the Caribbean meets African queen <laughs> to a, um, this is actually a little more than that. Yeah. No, that's really interesting because as a storyteller and a writer, if you play with that dynamic, if you're playing with this idea of like, well, readers won't like them at first, but they will at the end. Well, not all readers are going to get to the end or not all exactly. you know, viewers are going to get to the end of their movie. They're going to shut it off and say, come on, man, I don't even care about that. I don't like this guy. So um, very often when I'm looking at the work of aspiring authors, I'll start reading it. And the very same thing will happen, which you just pointed out. I'm reading it and the protagonist, the main character, they're not likable. Like, I'm, I'm like, I don't even want to spend time with this character. And I'll ask, you know, the author, why, why did you do that? Well, because of their character arc, because at the end, they'll be likable. And I get where you're coming from. But the idea is, if they're not likable at the beginning, I'm never going to get to the end of your story. No agents or editors are going to follow through. They want to be intrigued. And it, it isn't that everything the character does has to be likable, but that the character, you have to care about the character and be intrigued enough to want to find out more. Um, so I have a manuscript that's uh, out and about, and the book originally opens with uh, my protagonist and something happens to him. And then it's a couple of years later. And then there's an incident that, forces him to basically, you know, that what, what, what is, um, what's it, the call? Like the inciting incident or the call, yeah. like the call to adventure, whatever yes, people exactly. say. You so know, he, uh, yeah. he has that. And an editor said, the opening is great, but we don't need it because hmm. you want to get to the inciting incident immediately and reveal the character through how he relates to that inciting incident and as he said, save it for book 10, what you wrote in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> book 10. Okay. Right. 
give me a 10 book contract. I'll save as long as you want me to. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But, um, going over it was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the way it works now is it's much more suspenseful. There's much more in terms of page turning elements to it because like, well, why is he this way? What happened? What in, and Mm. the way the other characters interact with him too. Um, they feel bad for him. It's like, well, why do they feel bad for him? So it, it certainly worked much better. Yeah, I mean, there are different things that will cause readers to flip the page to find out what's on the next page. I mean, over the years, I've been really thinking about it. I think there are actually only five reasons why people will flip to the next page. Do you want to know what they are, Jeff? Oh, please. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, the first is curiosity, okay, which is what you were just talking about. We want to know, like, who is this person? Why do they treat him strangely? What's who did it? Who Who's the murderer or whatever? A curiosity keeps flipping pages. Um, so that's one very strong uh, way of engaging readers. Another is through concern, where it isn't so much that we're really curious about why things are the way they are, but we're really worried about where they're going. So your character is in peril and you're like, I really hope that they don't get harmed in this next scene. I'm really concerned and worried about it. That'll keep us flipping pages. Also, if they're super engaged in the moment. So let's say you're not super curious, not really that worried about it, but you're just loving the writing in that moment, whether it's because of the beauty of the language or maybe the the humor, whatever it is, which you're like, I'm just really present. Uh, and so I want more of this. And the fourth is anticipation where you're looking forward to something. It isn't necessarily curiosity or concern, but you're like, oh, I know they're going to kiss at the end of this book. I can't wait to see them kiss or whatever it might be, right? That anticipation. And then finally, obligation, which is what we do not want. In other words, someone says, I finished the book. I got to finish this book. Why do you have to finish it? Because I started it. You're like, no. But don't you hear that sometimes, Jeff? You're like... Someone, someone's like reading a book and they're not enjoying it. They're not curious, concern, enjoyment. And just, they're just reading it, plotting through it. Like, why are you doing that? Because I started it. <laughs> um, Nancy Pearl, who's this amazing librarian. Um, she does an NPR show and she even has her own action figure. She always talks about, oh, it has shushing action. It's really cute. Um right. She always talks about not wasting time reading something you're not enjoying. Mm. And so she has a 50 page rule and she Mm. follows that herself that if she gets to page 50 and doesn't care or doesn't want to keep going, she feels like she can put it down. And I completely agree with Mm. that. Like, you know, reading is precious time. Yes. And I don't want to not have a wonderful experience while I'm reading. Yep. And so, yeah, I don't want to spend several hours doing something. I'm, you know, I might as well just go to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. I think somebody told me that Stephen King had mentioned this once. I don't know if it was in one of his books or in an interview or something, but uh, basically said, don't read a book if it's worse than you could write it. And so since then, I've encouraged people at my seminars, like I'll say, okay, from now on, I will never again finish a book if it's written worse than I could write it. 
And some people are like, oh, that's arrogant. I'm like, no, it's not. It's called discernment. Like literally, if you're reading a book, I don't care how bad of a writer you are or how good you are. If you're reading a book and you're like, man, I could write way better than this. It probably isn't worth your time. <laughs> probably, But like there are some books and like one book I just read recently um, and uh, by a friend of mine. And I was just like, this is so good. Like, I literally don't want to put this book down and I'm super engaged in it. And I'm worried about the characters. I'm curious and all of these things. And so that to me is the whole goal of, you know, telling a good story is we want to engage people, help them enjoy, be entertained. But also like, it's also what you mentioned, Jeff, too, is like actually maybe learn something along the way, like whatever it is about a new location, a setting, maybe uh, a certain trade. Uh, you know, if, if we're reading a spy novel, maybe tr- some spy craft, trade craft, stuff like that. Oh, that's interesting. Well, look, look at Patrick Bowers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, people learned about what it was like to be, you know, an agent when you're reading that you, if you had not made it a realistic portrayal of what it's like mm. to be an agent, I'm sure even the FBI would be calling you saying, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, thanks for saying that. You know, even when I started writing the Patrick Bowers novels back in, I guess, 2005, which makes me now feel very old. Um, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want him to be, as authentic as possible. Clearly we're making stuff up. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the right. job of an FBI agent is probably filling out paperwork and so on. But, but of course that's not why we come to a story for it, but, but right. I wanted it to be where people could FBI agents or police detectives and so on could read and be like, okay, that's authentic. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's made up of course, but, but that's believable for this character to do. That's hard work though. I'll tell you, it's a lot of research. Um, the novel I mentioned earlier, um, was a lot of research as well, because it was, uh, I'm writing about a person who, um, does a job that I'm completely unfamiliar with. Ah. It was a lot of asking if I could shadow people in that position and that sort of thing. So I'm have to say, and people who want to write, don't be afraid to ask, Mm. Um, I always say that, you know, what's the worst that will happen? If you ask, they'll say, no, they're not going to say, how dare you ask? I'm going to come after your family and uh, beat them all up. You know, it's like, they're not gonna do that. they'll say no. Although that's a good well, idea for a plot, right? There. <laughs> well, I have an idea that um, people who win that lucky for life, you know, they win a certain amount of money each week for life. Oh, okay. But there's somebody's job it is to go out and kill those people after they win. Aha. There you go. And then, you know, they don't really lose money in the long run after all, you know. Exactly. Yeah, um, they weren't they weren't lucky for life after all. Um <laughs> It's like it, it's kind of like You and I are going to write that now. Let's do it. <laughs> but both of us look at life and we ask these what if questions, you know, both you and I do and we're like, "Well, what if this happened or and and a lot of it is not just what might happen, but what might go wrong." Like Stories are not just about stuff occurring. They're about problems and difficulties being overcome and solved and resolved and, and, you know, interpersonal relationships being initiated and all of this. And so, like, I know personally, I look at something and I, I don't always just ask, I wonder what would happen if this happened. But I always ask, I wonder what would happen if this went wrong. <laughs> and that's usually where the story starts to take off. 
Um, so I have to ask, uh, this is a personal question, but does your wife, when you're talking about something, say, stop, I don't need the story version, just tell me? <laughs> oh I always want to like tell it in a story fashion rather than... Just cut um, to the chase, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, so, I bought milk. So. You're not going to believe what happened when I went to the store, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's two different ways of approaching it. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's, it's interesting... Um, uh, she's very patient, very patient with me. And so I'm thankful for that. And she allows me to elaborate. Okay. So she tells me that I exaggerate sometimes, which is shocking to me. I don't know where she gets that from, but you know, um, it's funny too. Like whenever I'm working on kind of a darker story, like a couple of the Bowers books were pretty dark and, um, this woman came up to my wife and she's like, are you afraid to sleep next to him? And I, <laughs> she's like, nah, I mean, he's okay. Normal. I just gets a little dark in some of the stories, but <laughs> so she's been super supportive over the years. It's been nice. Um, I, I always have a joke that says, my wife says I have a hard time verbalizing my emotions. Can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just heard a joke recently. <laughs> What's the difference between a good joke and a bad joke timing? <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a fun one. It's easy <laughs> to remember, actually, for me. So um, now, uh, so let me ask this, uh, Jeff. You, you're an experienced podcaster and interviewer of many authors over the years. Um, when what are you, what are a couple of the things that you keep in mind personally when you're interviewing uh, someone or maybe doing a podcast um, to try to draw out the stories that that person has to share? Are there any specific kind of ideas or qu questions that you found that are really interesting or helpful for for getting to the heart of maybe stories that maybe haven't they haven't really told that much before? One of the things I've learned is that when I've been doing interviews, especially with the podcast, they're promoting their new book. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the authors do hundreds of interviews. And 99% of them are on shows like, say, some local radio station. Mm. And the person who's doing the interview got some sort of publicity material. you know, And they'll say, oh, so you wrote a book. And, you know, where, where's the joy in that? So one of the things I really try to do, and I, I'm proud to say I've done this uh, for everything and everybody I've interviewed, is I'm familiar with their work. Mm. I've actually read their work. I've actually looked them up. I went on their website and yeah. dove in. So I did my research and homework. So then I feel like, I understand who they are and why they wrote what they did. So I'm going to, um, my wife calls it, I'm being their therapist, <laughs> which I don't see it that way, but I'm going to ask them questions that I know that they have not been asked before, yeah, especially by those. Yeah. Um, and um, one of your colleagues, Mr. Dagoni. Yeah. Um, he had a book launch uh, here in Seattle and they asked me to interview him. Oh, wow. And I thought that was really awesome. And there was about 100 people in attendance. It was a special, really cool event. And one of the things they said to me was, 
because the majority of the people in the audience are familiar with him and are fans, you're going to have to come up with an hour's worth of questions that have never been asked of him before. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And uh, it was challenging. But because I'm familiar with his work Mm -hmm. and I'm a fan, I was able to actually do it without Hmm. much stress. (laughs) Yeah. Many years ago, when I first started writing, this is back in the mid-90s, I met a a woman who was an award-winning journalist, and I asked her, how do you interview people to get to the heart of a story that hasn't been told before? Like what you were just saying, Jeff, where they're like, okay, we want you to actually ask questions that he doesn't hear every time. Because as someone who has been interviewed by quite a number of different places, people ask the same questions all the time. Like, um, you know, very often they, they ask the same questions. And so you just kind of spill off your answers. And so, so I was like, how do you actually interview people to get to the heart? And, and she said, never start by asking, how did you get started? Okay. Because every, most people ask that, like, oh, how did you get started as a writer? You know? And she's like, they'll just tell you the stories they've told to a hundred other interviewers. She's like, that's the last thing that you ask. The first thing you ask is about obstacles. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, well, either ask them about obstacles they faced or that they foresee, then ask them how they plan to or did overcome them. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Like, so I interviewed different people from different bands and different, you know, um, different authors over the years. And a lot of times I would say, you know, you know, some people have challenged you because you do this or what's an obstacle that you see in the publishing industry today? How do you plan to overcome that? That was really interesting. And then to end with, oh, by the way, how did you ever get started? And because sometimes if you ask that first, <laughs> you'll never get to, the, to another question. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, there was an author once that I thought it was going really well. And then they revealed something that they had never revealed before. And it completely floored me. Hmm. And I honestly had to scramble to figure out how to keep going with the interview because they said, the reason I write is because my best friend was murdered. Wow. And I, Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, so um, let's talk about puppies now. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually interviewing one uh, well-known author on the show. And, um, and as he was finishing up, as we were getting toward the end, he started to say, like, he's like, you know, I've lost confidence in my writing. And I don't know if I want to write anymore. And, and I'm like, I was like, we want you to write more. Like we want to read your, you know, your stories and so on. And, um, but I was kind of on the spot where it was almost like he finally realized that he'd lost his confidence. And he was just sharing that in the interview. It was again, a, um, a moment where you're like, what do I say to that? You know? So that was, that was fascinating. And um, I just tried to encourage him as much as I could, like, no, seriously, all your fans want you to keep going. And, um, but yeah, it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, so that's fascinating. Uh, And I don't know (laughs) exactly where to go (laughs) from there. Um, But, um, 
but yeah, so that was fascinating. Um, so tell us, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, one of the things you mentioned in my bio is I recently retired from a public library job Yeah, and I got involved in libraries because I love stories. I love Mm -hmm. books. And I noticed that even when I was a kid, I would watch shows and the thing I was paying attention to the most was the writing of them. Hmm. And so I was starting to pay attention to see, well, who wrote this? Yeah. And then I was going out and seeking their work. And, you know, I was like 70 years old doing this. <laughs> and uh, Twilight Zone is the perfect example. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rod Serling was an inspiration for me. And the other was Ray Bradbury. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, just absolutely. They both fueled my youth with their poetic writing and just amazing way they told stories. And the reason they, they resonated so well with me was the whole human condition. What mm. I mentioned before, yeah. personal stakes. It's just, yeah. Um, they did a phenomenal job of just taking ordinary people, putting them in situations and making me care. Wow. And yeah. And yeah, there's a reason why twilight zone hasn't worked ever since. Hmm. Um, they've tried, you know, several times, yeah. even most recently, Jordan Peele. Yeah. And a couple of those worked really well, but I for the most so, yeah. part, yeah. yeah, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're trying too hard. I, I don't know. I, I agree though. I, some of the episodes I watched, I was like, okay, I really think this is good. And there were a couple of others where I was like, no, this isn't, this isn't working. This isn't quite working, yes. you know, and I don't want to be too critical of anyone's, you know, products and show, but, uh, but yeah, definitely you're right. And I think it was the fourth reboot of the twilight zone. I think it was the fourth maybe, or back. Yeah. In the, Cause they had yeah. the eighties. They had uh, one in the two thousands. Yeah. Or, or was there or maybe in the nineties? Yeah, yeah. It was on UPN for like a season or two. And then, yeah. uh, Pretty interesting. Yeah. I think and I always watch because I think you're going to recapture that magic. And I know that they're not going to. Mm. They might occasionally, depending on the story they're using. But then again, it's the story they're using. I, I wonder if there's so much pressure to do something a certain way, Jeff. In other words, like, oh, we have to have a Twilight Zone uh, ending or, or a, a big twist or something where it puts so much pressure on the story that it ends up becoming a cookie cutter story where we're like, Oh, I know there's a twist coming. Okay. That was the twist or whatever. Um, I'm not sure. I don't really know. Um, I, I, I feel like it's, it's a challenge as a writer because when you're writing in a certain genre or, or with certain, because you, it's like, you want to tell something fresh and new, but you also want to give people something that they came to that type of story for so it's a spy story. Well, why don't we come to spy stories? What do we want? Intrigue and mystery, betrayals and confidences and, and um, you know, action or whatever it might be. So I want to give people that, but not just give them cliches that they've seen before. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, line to walk where you give people, I sometimes tell authors, your goal is to give people what they didn't know they want. And so it's like, <laughs> once they get there, they're like, oh, that was really good. But I didn't even know that I wanted that ending or whatever it might be. Well, and you also have to write it in a way that makes it joyful for you mm, because this yeah. is a year of your life. Yeah. 
That's or in true. some some people's cases, it's like five minutes of their life. But. <laughs> so we've read some of those books, and stuff, <laughs> yes. yeah, no, I hear you. Um, but you're right. You know, really well researched, well written, edited book. It's going to take a chunk of your life to do it right, to do it well. And and um, certainly, you can spin something off that's a first draft or an earlier draft, but. Um, but you and I both know that, you know, to do most of the authors that we know that are doing really good work, it does take about a year to write a really good, really good book, a really good story. Um, yeah. And I, and I don't know how some of these folks can come out with two books a year, or um, I know that uh, Brian Andrews, and Jeff Wilson do four a year now. Like, wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. But they're it's consistent. Crazy. I mean, there's the some people thing. that can consistent. and, and do, do a good job. I mean, there's a few people that are able to, but I, I mean, overall, it's just uh, it's just so much work and so difficult. So I think to aspiring yeah. authors, it's probably good to know that, that, you know, of all the hundreds of authors that you and I know, I mean, there's only a handful that can pull something like that off and do it really well, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I'm an aspiring author out there listening to the podcast, I might say, I've got this great idea. Well, guess what? It's going to be a thousand hours of work if you're going to write a great story like, mm-hmm. or, or more, you know, and so buckle down and, and it's going to, it's going to take some effort now. Well, and most agents will want to know what you have going next. That's the first yeah. question they'll ask you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, okay. So it, it's, you have to do this, make it perfect and the mm. best it can be, enjoy the process be patient and then do it again and do it again. Yeah, that's good. I like how you're emphasizing enjoy the process because, you know, that's, that is super important. Life is short, you know, and, and if you are engaged in this um, recently I had a conference and I'd sent out an invitation to people who'd been to some of my prior events and, and just invited them. And one woman wrote back and she was like, I gave up writing after I was in your class the last time. <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, I realized that it was going to be way too much work for me. And so I'm, I'm no longer writing. And I'm like, I wrote her back and I was like, Hey, life is short. Writing's not for everyone. You know, I hope that you mm-hmm. find what brings you joy. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, Oh, that's so sad. But then I was like, it's not necessarily sad. It's just, she found that this wasn't her cup of tea. Okay. Great. Maybe music is or we're yeah. hiking the Appalachian Trail or whatever it is. So, so yeah, it's got to have, got to bring me some, some joy, I believe. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work and there's going to be, you know, times of difficulties. But um, so, Jeff, tell us a little bit about Thriller Fest. I know you're one of the uh, e- executive directors of Thriller Fest, and I've brought brought Thriller Fest up before on the show, and people know that I've attended there. I've met a lot of other authors and so on there. But but uh, tell us a little bit about what um, it encompasses, what you have coming up this year. Well, l- let me say, first of all, that um, I went to this first Thriller Fest in New York, which was Thriller Fest 2. And I went as a fan and I had just signed a contract for the Star Trek book that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And it was all about meeting the authors that I loved. Here was an opportunity to do that because that does not come across very often. Mm, Yeah. And I volunteered because I thought I want to give back. And say thank you to the people who 
you know, I've spent time with and yeah. feel like I know them, even though they don't know me, <laughs> I know them because I've read their books and I just became this person who they started asking me to help with the recordings. And they started asking me to moderate some panels and um, it just grew. And then um, a person started calling me the thriller fest mayor, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> um, it, the comment was, well, it's because everybody knows you. And I said, that's not true. I took my badge off. I said, I'll prove it to you. And so we walked down the hall and uh, Robert Crace walks by and goes, hmm. Jeff, how's it going? And the guy goes, <laughs> Thriller Fest mayor. I proved it. Okay. <laughs> and then just um, being asked to be part of planning the conference now is honestly a dream come true. Hmm. That's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that you don't think about, hmm. you know, even down to the details about, you know, making sure there's a microphone for when you come doc. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think about those things. So it's, I'm learning a lot and it's a big learning curve for me, but the fact that I'm retired from my day job, I'm thrilled that I'm doing something that I love and I'm learning again. Yeah. Uh, it's wonderful. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So Thriller Fest this year. So Thriller Fest essentially is several different things. Um, one of the things that we do is masterclass where we have um, authors uh, oh, like yourself <laughs> um, actually help aspiring writers by looking at some of their material and uh, having a full day intensive seminar with you and others. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, what we call a pitch fest, which is an opportunity to meet agents, New York agents, and pitch your work to them and see if uh, they're, they'd be interested in looking at it. And we've had many success stories come out of there. Uh, Boyd Morrison, uh, Mark Greeny, you know, mm -hmm. people who got agents from there. Uh, I can oh. say I got mine as well. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And then we no, have that's, a craft Yeah, fest. that's fantastic. I, I know um, lots of people will come up to me and they'll say, you know, how do you meet an agent or how do you pitch to an agent and so on? And it's like, a lot of times I'll say, well, you know, attend this event and actually you can sit down and it's like mm -hmm. speed dating for agents. You know, you got like whatever, three to five minutes or something to give them your pitch and your elevator pitch and, you know, let them, you know, see if it's a good fit for them and for you and so on. So it can well, be very helpful for a lot of people. Well, um, I'll mention that this year we're doing a practice pitch fest, which is something we used to do there on site, but we're doing it this year virtually. Oh, so yeah. people who sign up for pitch fest can actually um, get an opportunity to practice their pitch with an expert about a month or so before the actual uh, thriller fest happens. And uh, pretty excited about that. Before we dive into the next aspect of thriller fest, tell me what have you heard or seen over the years that you feel like makes a good pitch or makes a bad pitch? Like, what is it that, you know, if someone say, I've got this story, I'll, I meet an agent, an editor, whatever, what would you say would be a good way of presenting their story? Or maybe like one that maybe would backfire and not be as helpful. There's a difference between saying, so there's this sheriff and he has 
um, a job in a small town that's on a beach. And he has a fight with the mayor and the mayor and him never get along. And then there's the shark that comes <laughs> and the shark is starting to eat people. And they have this conflict like, okay, you're telling me your story. A great white shark terrorizes a beach at the height of the summer season in a small mm. town. There's a pitch. There you go. Yeah. Um, and what have I done? I've taken the essence of the story, shoved it into a sentence or two or three, mm -hmm. and want the agent to say, okay, um, tell me more about this. And then you can go into like, okay, I yep. have this character. He's, you don't want to tell the story in that time because essentially you're going to bore the agent. Hmm. It's really good. And that's, I've shared very similar advice with people over the years as far as pitches. And one of the things I like that you said, Jeff, that is very true is your goal is to get them to say, tell me more. Exactly. However you decide to do that, you know, whether, you know, you want them to get the, that moment and then you can launch into, okay, here's my story. And then you've gotten the, uh, whatever the green light or something to go to go forward that's yeah, good um so i had a nonfiction agent for a number of years and that's how i sold my star trek book and the conference i went to to pitch to an agent i thought i found the perfect agent sat down did the pitch and they said sorry this doesn't interest me hmm. like okay the other agent that handled nonfiction, i was actually in the in an elevator with her ah the door shut and she said the words that you want to hear. So what are you writing? I did that elevator pitch. Yeah. Literally in an elevator. <laughs> and when those doors opened, she said, here's my card. Email me when this conference is over. And wow. she represented me on that book. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, everyone says you have to have something ready in case this, you know, would happen where you're ever you're on an elevator. And so and, and it, it literally happened to me. Yeah, that's that's cool. No, I never even knew that. Um, um, so I think that the big mistake people make is trying to tell the whole story, like what you said. Instead, it's to try and like. um, um to, to think about um, the stakes, like what you said, you know, also the conflict. I always mention the pursuit. Like, what is your character trying to pursue? What's getting in the way? So if you can find ways to do that, very often can be a helpful sort of tool. I was trying to remember like one pattern for pitches, but there's a lot, there's a lot of books out there on how to do pitches. And I would recommend, you know, if you are... Uh, in that realm and you're looking for it, actually check one of them out, you know, and, and mm -hmm. look for a book on, and whether it's pitching a novel or a screenplay, like a lot of the books on pitching screenplays are very applicable for people who would be pitching um, a novel or, or that kind of story. Oh, I, I would 100% agree. Yeah. And, and there's different avenues to it, but the idea is that um, when you sit down to, with an agent, first of all, it's, this is a business. So it's not, uh, hey, buddy, how you doing or anything? The plan is if they if they hire you, you're going to make money for them and they're going to make money for you. Hmm. This is a business. Yeah. The whole world of publishing is a business. And a lot of people don't think about that. So when you're sitting there with somebody, you don't want to bore them. You want yeah. to engage them 
give them an idea of your story and why you did it. So, you know, I wrote a story about a fireman. Well, that's nice. Um, oh, and I, I, I'm a fireman. Oh, okay. Now, you know, or I'm not a fireman, but my brother died fighting hmm. a fire, you know, something wow. yeah. elements that um, showcase the agent, not only why the story is something they should look at, but also why you were the only one to write it. That, that is fantastic. And actually mirrors, I actually spoke with an executive who was uh, one of the people who championed the X-Files and also Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. And so he had worked with a studio. And I said, what's the first thing that you look for in a pitch? And he said, I want to know why you're the one to write it. Which is exactly what you just said. That mm-hmm. why why are you the person to write this story? I thought he would say, you know, it's fresh, it's different, never been done before. But he's like, no, I want to know what your passion is and why you are the right person to write this show. Pretty fascinating, and and it's very similar to what you just said, Jeff. Well, one of the things that uh, I've noticed as a trend is um, they're doing reboot after reboot. Mm-hmm. There's it's really hard to do original now, and. Um, so again, it's like you found success. We're going to keep doing this success. And it, I'm noticed that th- these reboots, a lot of the times they bring on people who weren't involved with the original show. Hmm. And I wonder why sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, but it's the same thing. It's like they're bringing on people because they have to be the ones doing it. Hmm. And I, a good example is they just announced quantum leap is coming back. Oh, interesting, huh? Oh, Which huh? I love that show so much. <laughs> so if the people on Quantum Leap are listening, that would be a dream job to work on that show. <laughs> every week, he was somebody else. Mm-hmm. And the history, the mechanizations of how it all worked, it was always engaging and fresh. And I loved that about that mm-hmm. show. Never predictable. Yeah. So... So I can't wait yeah. for that to come back. Maybe anyway, someone will um, call you. That'd be fun. That'd be exciting <laughs> to hear. I heard um, you on that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, so real quick, because I know we're running out of time, uh, a couple other elements with Thriller Fest is yeah. we have Craft Fest, which is essentially someone, again, like yourself, um, doing a 50-minute presentation on a particular topic. And we have some amazing people lined up this year. We have not posted the schedule yet because we're still working on filling out the last little details. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Thriller Fest itself is panels, two mm-hmm. days of panels with multiple authors on a particular topic talking. And then we also spotlight people. We have two thriller masters this year, Frederick Forsyth, who is um, the author of one of the books that got me involved in thrillers when I was a kid, Day of the Jackal. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm old. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> Diana Gabaldon, who, you know, the whole Outlander, very popular. Yeah. And then we have a couple spotlight guests, including Veronica Roth, Mm -hmm. um, Joe Finder, and Alifair Burke. And it's guaranteed fun. So when people say Thriller Fest, they might be talking specifically about those two days of panels with best-selling authors, or they might actually be talking about the whole kind of conference where it involves you know, pitches, it might involve, you know, you studying the craft of writing and so on like that. So the, where's the best place to find out all the specifics to sign up to register for some of these different events? 
Well, actually, if you go to thrillerfest.com, you will see all the different breakdowns and um, we're constantly adding material to it. So you think, well, there's no schedules yet. We are going to have those up. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, as someone who's been to, I don't know how many uh, Thriller Fest myself, maybe eight or 10 or something like that. Whatever it is, I've always enjoyed it and benefited, and I've met wonderful people. You know, one of the things that I think you've probably noticed, Jeff, and that I have too, is that uh, there's like uh, kind of it isn't doesn't feel super competitive, like that one author is trying to up another author for the most part. Instead, it's like we're all here to encourage each other to tell better stories, to sell more books, and to you know we're all kind of on the same side, and that is the side of trying to serve readers. Well, one of the things I love about this conference is everybody's approachable. The people that you run into, you just have no idea. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. oh, I'm hanging out with David Morell in the hallway <laughs> for 20 minutes. Um, a great example is I walked, I was walking down the hall and there was a guy looking lost. And I said, oh, can I help you? And he said, I'm trying to find this room. I said, oh, hey, you know, and so we got to talking and it was Ken Follett. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're like I, I love you, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's great. And so, um, my, I mean, our time is, is up and I've really enjoyed, you know, the chance just to pick your brain a little bit about some of the things you've seen over the years and the books that you've read, reviewed, the, and, you know, the authors that you've interviewed and so on. And before we close up, do you have any um, other words of maybe advice for aspiring authors or storytellers? You know, anything that you might have picked up that you're like, you know what? I kind of wish someone would have told me this many years ago. The main thing I would recommend to people is patience hmm. because you you write the best thing you can. You give it to your agent and then the agent sends it out. Hmm. And then it's, uh, I, I always say it's hurry up and wait. Yeah. And wait and wait. And you can't think about those things. You need to focus on the next thing to work on. Mm, yeah. And it really is challenging, especially when you start seeing the rejections come in and everything mm. else. But I would say take every rejection as a positive because someone's looked at your work mm. and that also you might learn something from that rejection. Mm. If if three rejections come in and they all say your main character is unlikable. Aha, yeah. I need to look at that. Good. So, yeah. So just have a thick skin, handle rejection and patience, patience, patience. <laughs> patience and perseverance. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. Jeff, thanks so much for being here. And, um, and again, where's the best place again to check out more on, on Thriller Fest is thrillerfest.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we encourage um, all of our listeners to check that out and uh, maybe I'll see you there this summer. I'll be teaching several different um, times throughout the week for well, more. Um, info- I definitely will. <laughs> definitely <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, also for more information about our other guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts or click to the story Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcast podcasts on Friday evenings. So in closing, tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.